1: <laughs> so he had to bring you back. J.A. Dante had to bring you back. Make sure your water bottle is nearby. Michael Smith is not here today. Uh, he will be back tomorrow. But J.A., you know, it's so funny when you did that. I caught it in real time because I was just kind of looking at I, I, I was, my, my attention was caught between two places. Mike Smith in that table, which he accurately said he would have broken if he had stood on there. <laughs> So I was looking at Mike Smith in that table here, and then I'm looking over there, and I'm like, whoa, did Jay Donde just pour water on his own head? He did. So he <laughs> missed it. He only saw it on the replay. What's up, man? Welcome. I got caught up in a moment. But it actually proves my
2: point why you don't go too crazy, you know, in the play playing games or in the first round, because there's more games to be played, right? And in this case, there's more yeah. show to be done. So I'm going to try to, you know, act like I didn't win the championship back then and try to bring it now because the season is not over yet. We still have more production to do, so I'm going to try to bring it today and then maybe, maybe we can celebrate like champions
1: afterward. No, 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 no. You're not going to try to. You already have because you've inspired me. I saw your feed. I see your feed right now, so I had to shout out your Stevie Wonder inspired feed. You got to love it. So I had to shout it out. Shout it out. From the last time I saw Stevie in concert, and you know, it's, I'm, I'm long overdue because that concert was, I think it was uh, 2013, 2013, 2014, Ooh, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. At TD Garden. It was uh, Songs in the Key of Life. He just did the whole album. That was it. That was yeah. the concert. Songs in the Key of Life. So and the next tour he did, India, so I, I caught that. India, I opened for him. No, no. She was with him. She didn't open for him. She was right, singing right. with him. Yeah, and I know she's a big fan. It wasn't a great mix. Quite honestly, I hate to say that. Wasn't,
2: really? Uh, yeah. She's she's
1: great as a backup I, singer, so she's great. I, I I love her. I love her, but certain songs I, yeah, it yeah. No. Nah. I caught but the anyway, first
2: the first time they did the songs in the Kid life, they did in LA. And um man, they had like Herbie Hancock, Mike Phillips on the saxophone, Ooh. um, I mean just Corea, like all star lineup. And then the last time I saw him, it was December 2017, and they did um, and, and they did uh, talking book and um, oh man, uh, intervisions. They did intervisions? so it, instead, instead of just doing songs in the cure life, which is a double album. He did talking book yeah. and and intervision.
1: Well, since you have a Stevie Wonder inspired theme, and you have next to the next next loves and need of love. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, so, so, uh, you know, what exactly do you mean by that? Is it, uh, is it the fact that Brooklyn is down zip two in this series? Is it the fact it, it, that it's, it's more than that? Kyrie I mean, the, the, and, and Kyrie were eight for 30 last night from the field combined. What yeah, is but it?
2: I mean, those are things you you can adjust, you, you know, you, you, you can get the benefit of, of being back home. And, and all that comes with it, including they'll probably get even more, you know, benefits of calls from referees. But when I think of this entire experience, since KD and Kyrie came to, to Brooklyn and then they brought in James Harden and they sent James Harden away, just the whole time, when have you seen joy, love, passion? When has it ever seemed fun to you? When has it ever seemed like any of them are enjoying it? Has, has Steve Nash seemed like he's enjoyed any moment of this journey you know, uh, th- does anyone seem happy? Does anyone seem fun when, when Kyrie's going back and forth with the fans in Boston? Does that seem fun? And you got to well, feel like what? at some point there needs to be joy and love on the journey.
1: Well, you know what? You raised an interesting question. I want the people to listen. I want the people to watch and come to their own conclusion. If any of which uh, any of what, what you see here and, and hear here, if this sounds joyful, let us know. Let's go to last night. Celtics, Nets, some of the principles involved.
3: You know, this was like an old-fashioned, you know, old-school playoff game. You know, um, both teams were physical from the jump, um, getting into each other and just making it difficult, um, and you just had to, to grind it out. You know, this was an ugly game, you know, for especially, like, probably the first three quarters. You know,
4: we weren't necessarily, you know, I wasn't shooting the ball well at all, uh, you know, JB. You know, started taking over late, um, but you know, Grant, Smart, Al, Tice,
3: D. White, um, You know, everybody contributed. This was a well-rounded. You know, team team win. It's on me to just fi- just finish it and figure it out. You know, I'm not expecting uh,
2: my teammates to order defense to give me anything. I just got to go out there and play. Uh, I feel like we watch film and. Our name of our game is just playing extremely hard. I mean, on the, on the defensive side of the ball, we didn't give up too many rebounds this game. Um, you know, we matched them
5: in turnovers and made a few more shots than us. To be honest with you, we don't really have time to be disappointed um, and to hold our heads. This is, this is part of uh, playoff basketball and learning your team and being in these situations where uh, we can have some carryover into the next one.
1: All right, so um, happy? No, <laughs> no one's happy. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that was really the point, though. I'm not sure that was the point. Now, I, I agree with you that the, we thought the whole Nets experience would be a lot of appearances in the NBA finals, and you get to see these great players on the biggest stage doing their thing. But really, what, what about KD has ever said, joyful? He's a killer. He's amazing. Transcendent. Not necessarily joyful. Kyrie's not always joyful. Philosophical at times. Passionate. Joyful. When they had James Harden. Not joyful. And then they threw your boy Steve Nash under the bus, J.A., before he even (laughs) took the job. Before he took the job. Like, yay. Hey, congratulations, coach. But you ain't really the coach. I mean, I can coach. He can coach. We really don't have a head coach and he's acting like it. He's coaching like he's really not the coach. So yeah, I don't well,
2: like if... he doesn't have any answers, right? He, he's, he's, yeah. he's acting like and he's speaking like in the postgame, he, he's not providing any solutions. I don't know if he has solutions. I don't know if it's reasonable to expect him to have the solutions, you know, this early into his coaching career. Uh, Brad Stevens was a great coach. I thought it was a great hire when Boston hired him. He didn't do so well his early playoffs, right? It took him a few playoff runs to get the hang of it, to get the hang of the NBA. Uh, You know, Steve Nash had been around the league for a long time, but he doesn't have coaching experience. So it makes you wonder and you have to revisit the decision to entrust him with no prior experience to be the right coach for this team at this time. It's not looking like it at the moment. I would argue, Michael, that KD was happy as a young guy in Oklahoma City, um, you know, until he what? wasn't happy, and he went to, to Golden State. He seemed pretty happy and satisfied the night they won the championship, and he had that finals. Remember he got out of the car outside of Oracle Arena in the parking lot in Oakland, and he's holding up his MVP, finals MVP trophy and just yep. letting out that cathartic yell. Um, but then I would argue starting with the championship parade when the team GM, Bob Myers, is kind of teasing him for not being a part of the original group, that the unhappiness started kicking in then. That, that okay, he, he can win, he can be the best player on the best team in the league, and he was never going to get the love from that crowd. So he went searching for it again, and I think he's still searching for it. I think you need to find joy at some point. I think that's an important component to all this.
1: Yeah, I think, I think they are... They are one of the more interesting teams in in basketball history because they when they were brought together like all three of them, you got to really going to tell their story. You got to start with all three. It's it's Katie and Kyrie coming together and then bringing Harden along. So when they brought in Harden, it's like, oh, it's on now. I mean, you got three of the top 20 players in basketball, uh, including number one, two or three, depending on where you sit and, and Kevin Durant. All together, Eastern Conference. We looked at the East completely differently at that time. Not like now. This is before Giannis had established himself as a champion and as a winner. So, hey, KD coming over with Brooklyn. They're about to set some records. Offensive basketball at the next level. Nobody can stop them. Harden jumps off the train. And now, you know, Kyrie didn't want to be vaccinated. And this is what you have. You have a team... They're really weird. They're a weird team. I got to say, they are, so, they are so weird. And, and, and I, Michael, I, I'm I mean, still
2: not ready to completely write them off yet, right? Out oh, I, of respect I to the ability, I'm, I'm still going to defer to the ability and the skills of Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Ooh. Irving. I, I will still allow, the, I will, I will allow for the possibility that Ben Simmons can bring something to the table if he's able to get in the series. But still, the, the <laughs> ask that, that – I realize this is an absurd ass. I mean, they're basically going to ask him to step onto the court for the first time in over a year, and and that's going to be his first game in I'm, the playoffs. Think of like, has a player ever played his first game for a team in the playoffs? Has that ever happened before? Where the first time a guy has worn the jersey for a team has come in a playoff game? Because that's what they're going to have to do, and they're asking him to to come in in his last memory on a basketball court. Was that horrific Game Seven that he had when when the Sixers lost to the Hawks? That's going to be in his head, you know. Like when I'm when I hit my last shot on the driving range, I like to leave on a, on a nice shot. When I hit my last shot, if I'm just shooting in the gym, you know, I got to leave off a of make, right? You know, just so that the next time I come out, I'm in a good mood. I got a streak going. He's coming off when he steps on the court, be it this season or next season, he's still coming off that Game Seven performance that that basically right. ended his tenure in Philly. I know that's asking a lot.
1: That is asking a lot. I think it's asking too much. And, and uh, based on the reports that you read, game four, maybe at the earliest for Ben Simmons, but then Steve Nash turns around and says, that's news to me. <laughs> it Hold could up. be happening, but maybe they haven't told uh, the head <laughs> coach. I, I, have, I have two questions for you. I have two questions off this. One, who do you have winning this series? I know it's, I... it's easy to say Boston. Boston's up 2 zip, but who do you think's going to win it?
2: Yeah, I, I thought Boston coming in, and I, I still think okay. Boston. Um, let, let's not forget, Michael, I mean, as bad as things went, as, as, as bad a game as Kevin Durant had in game one, they had the lead up until the final, you know, few tenths of a second. As bad as yeah, things right. went last night, including Kevin Durant 0 for 10 in the second half, I believe, they had a seven-point lead early in the fourth quarter. It was tied with, like, eight minutes to go. So let's. But you wonder though if but those they were, last eight minutes, they if Boston figured something out because they did win going away, and you wonder if that was the turning point. Sometimes we have a turning point when it's close, and then it's not so close anymore.
1: Yeah, I think I think Boston's going to win the series. I said it in the beginning, Jay. I thought it was going to be Boston and six, and I, I just thought Boston was a better team. I, I didn't. I couldn't really get into specifics at that time because you know you not you don't see the series, you don't know how it's going to play out. But watching it play out, I think Boston is going to win it because they're they're forcing the Nets to play in a way that just is they they got no tool in the bag for that. Starting with the coaching staff, like Steve Nash was a brilliant offensive player. He doesn't teach defense, and if he does teach defense, there's no recognition that is being absorbed. So that's Steve Nash. He's not a, he wasn't a gritty like in the trenches, like Jason Tatum said in that clip, it was an ugly game. No, Steve Nash didn't win at ugly basketball. Steve Nash won a beautiful basketball. Right. Mike Dan and Mike D'Antoni, that whole style. And Kevin Durant is not winning that way. And, and Kyrie Irving is not winning that way. These guys are supremely talented, but that's not really what it is. And Boston is all over them. And I think it's very intentional and maybe I'm, uh, this is getting into conspiracy territory a little bit. I think it's intentional that Kyrie Irving said after the game, he mentioned Brad Stevens. He mentioned Ime Doka. He didn't mention Steve Nash. So I think he's trying to say something. I think he's trying to say, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like LeBron. When LeBron was, was praising Sam Presti, he ain't really praising Sam Presti. Well, LeBron is praising Les Need, Hey, F them picks. That's my kind of guy. No, 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 no. You're not talking to Les Need. You You're, You're talking to <laughs> Rob Polinka. You're talking to Rob Polinka. And I think Kyrie was talking to Steve Nash last night. Like, they, they don't really have an adjustment. I don't think Steve Nash has an adjustment for what Ime Adoka and the Celtics are doing to him. So, this is going to be, it's going to be uh, Boston versus... You tell me in the next round who you tell me who's going to be on the other side, either Milwaukee or Chicago. You tell me Whew!
2: that one just got a lot more um, uncertain, especially with, with, with Chris Middleton being out, you know, for who knows how long now with with this meniscus tear in his knee, you know, so so that's why, you know, the, the, the first line of my feed was, was ordinary pain, you know, bringing the Stevie's I would say. It, it, the lyric is more than just an ordinary pain, right? Because, um, yeah. you know, these are critical injuries to critical players at a critical time. When you look at Middleton and Devin Booker with his hamstring being out now, the, the latest they're saying today is Devin Booker could be out two to three weeks. Um, I, will, I will not write either Phoenix or Milwaukee off. I will not say that, that this uh, Bulls series uh, is done for the Bucks because, lest we forget, last year the Bucks won games without Giannis. Right when he hurt his knee against Atlanta and they were still able to advance and prevail. Uh, we saw the Suns advance while missing Chris Paul, who was out due to the COVID-19 protocols last year. Um, so let's not forget. Let's not forget how well the hey. Suns fared. They had winning records both without Chris Paul and without uh, Devin Booker. Uh, so we want to talk coaches. I give a lot of credit to Monty Williams. Um, and I think the Suns can say in Monty, we trust So I think that's one thing they have going for them that maybe the Nets don't have right now. So I'm not willing to write off either of these teams without the injury. And let's forget, if you're saying the Suns are in trouble against uh, the Pelicans now because they don't have Devin Booker, let's not forget the Pelicans haven't had a minute from Zion Williamson all year. And yet here they are in almost as good of positions anyway. Right now, Philly is the closest of anyone to a championship. But here are the Pelicans – at 1-1, having stolen home court advantage in the series Stop. from the team that had the Stop best it. record in the league, they've done oh it all goodness. without Zion Williamson. Oh,
1: my goodness. The Pelicans. The Pelicans. Come on. They had their moment. They had their win. Congratulations. So you're saying you they're got over? your one. But what I'm, I'm saying they've themselves to a it's... great place
2: without Zion all year. They're in a good place okay. right now. And they, even okay, if they okay, get, okay, you know, oh, they lose oh, the next picture? four games, the next three games. They've, okay. still, they've still survived with without him.
1: I agree with that. Okay, I agree with that. Okay, big picture Pelicans making the playoffs without Zion. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, but in this series, nah. Nah, as as Monty Williams very diplomatically pointed out yesterday, hey, we have won games without uh, Devin Booker. Uh, we have to, you know, next man up. And look at our road record. Look at our road record. We've done well on the road. Okay, in look, 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 look at total. Dallas.
2: Dallas now has won a game without Luka, right? Yeah, and and if they play if they play Dallas in the next round, let's, so let's say Phoenix wins and they're playing Dallas in the next round, okay, they get them either without or with the hobbled Luca. So again, that's why I'm not riding the the, the Suns off just yet. Um, you know, we, we saw we saw the the Warriors make the finals without Kevin Durant in in 2018. Um, we saw the Warriors make the finals while missing Steph Curry for part of the playoffs in 2016. Um, so these injuries are significant. I'm not going yeah. to just write off the ability of these teams to cope and to adjust. In particular, um, give some credit to the coaching staff to make adjustments.
1: Well, here's the question. Speaking of writing, uh, I have a question for you uh, before we take a little 20-second timeout. Or, okay, full. We'll, we'll go full timeout. We'll go go full, full. Spread it out. Uh, but, yeah, go go full. Remember, remember, remember Phil used to do that? No, 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 no. We'll go full. We'll go full Um, (laughs) and then go in the huddle and not and talk to his assistant coaches. He's I think he started. I didn't feel start that. Let's talk to the coaches first. We'll come out here. Mid court talk talk to the coaches. Then we'll come back and talk to the players. But uh, before we get to that, uh, I do remember that you used to write for the Chicago Sun Times and you used (laughs) to cover the Chicago Bulls when I was covering the Cavaliers. I was coming to Cavaliers. you were coming to Bulls Chicago Stadium. We used to kick it. Uh, what would you write? Give me a lead or two. 17 out of 18. Milwaukee has beaten Chicago 17 out of the last 18 times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you cover like you probably got like four or five leads already prefab leads all ready to go. You, you know, I know you don't tell your students to do stuff like that, but you know, at, at, well, Northeast, funny, Mike, at, at Northwestern
2: sometimes you kind of had to have stuff written in advance because our first deadline was at 10 o'clock. <laughs> you know, I had to have a story in at 10 o'clock. So, yeah, o'clock you know, I might have to pre-write a Central lead.
1: Time.
2: 10 o'clock Central 10 Time, p. M. right.
1: Central. 10 p. M. Yeah, 10 okay.
2: p.m. Central Time was the first deadline. And then I had to come back with the second story at midnight. So, you can go in the locker room, get your quotes, come back, and then rewrite and have a real story for midnight. But 10 p.m. was the first one. So, yeah, you might have to kind of, you know, I, I mean, honestly, during the finals in 94, I would have to write, especially once we got near the end of the series, I would write two separate stories, basically, you know, and, and have one for if the Knicks won the game, one for if the Rockets won the game and just, you know, hit send, depending on which way things go. So you so you would have to pre-write. Um, I would have thought that, yeah, the Bucks would have won. I mean, you, you saw the way this was going. But, again, people, a lot of people felt like the Bulls left one on the table in game one, right? And, and, um, you know, especially with with Middleton going down, and then and then the Bucks lost uh, Bobby Portis stat. too.
1: Look at that stat from stat news. Nobody,
2: but nobody, nobody uh, beats, beats, the, beats
1: the Bulls fifteen times. We ain't in a row. having it.
2: Um, but but you know that brings a lot. You know, there's trends. At, at, you know, things are established until they aren't. Uh, you know, I mean that, that, that happened with I, I, th- I think of the Warriors and, and the and the uh, Cavaliers. With the Warriors had just owned the Cavaliers. You know, they, they, they won three straight to finish off the 2015 NBA Finals. I think they owned them uh, throughout the season, you know, the regular season. And then they're up 3-1, you know. So they'd won, like, eight out of ten or something like that against them. maybe You know, maybe six or seven consecutive. And then yep. they lost yep. three straight. You know, so, so – it it, it it things are trends until they're not anymore, and, and that sounds you know yeah. real basic. But I think that's an no, important so, philosophy so, so to remember. So in the final. things change quickly. In the final. momentum is non-existent from game to game. I believe in momentum within games, yeah. but I do not believe in momentum carrying from game to game. Saying which team has the momentum so true. that that doesn't exist in in a playoff series. Momentum does not carry oh, from man. game to game.
1: That's a word. That's a word right there. <laughs> And, and you know, you know, it's so great, Point. Jay. It's just that <laughs> dynamic. Oh, we're going full. We're going full. It's a <laughs> dynamics. It's the dynamics of a series. I love how players respond game to game. But you know what? I also love. I love fan responses game to game. Up 2-0. we to sweep them. <laughs> Lose a the game, two one. Uh oh. Two two. All this team's about to blow it. Fire then coach. you go up three two. I to- Yeah, exactly. It's all over the place. So. It's just a series. It's a series 2-0. Who knows what's going to happen? Brooklyn could come back and win four in a row. They could. They won't. But they could.
2: <laughs> they could. But they might. <laughs>
1: but they might. You never know. We'll be back. J. A. Now I I, I, st- I gave part of your resume of your part of your illustrious resume in journalism. Uh, currently, the the director of sports journalism at Northwestern University. Madil, shout Medill. out. Uh, so, but after you left the Chicago Sun Times, you went to the L. A. Times from Chicago. Is that right?
2: Uh, Washington Post first, so, and, then three oh, Washington, years, and then Washington, Washington
1: the Times. Yeah, right. that's right. It was a Post, then the L. A. Times. So. You went to the LA Times. Nobody knows Los Angeles sports and Los Angeles culture uh, better than you do. So when I saw this, this Winning Time drama, the drama behind the drama, I needed to hear from you. So for those who don't know, Jerry West, watching this uh, HBO series Winning Time, based off of uh, Jeff Perlman's book, he didn't like his portrayal. He's a uh, angry, uh, temperamental, rageaholic. Uh, as he said in his letter, asking for an apology and a retraction, I wanted to hear what you had to say, uh, J.A., because you spent a lot of time out in L.A. You spent a lot of time around yeah, Jerry West, interviewing, dealing with Jerry West.
2: F- I I'd, I'd say yeah. I've gotten to know Jerry you, West pretty well.
1: Um, yeah. How do you feel about? I want to know what how you feel about the series and how you feel about Jerry West's problem with the series. Um.
2: So I'll start with the last question. I mean, Jerry West has every right to, to be upset because, you know, there's no one who spent time with him. Um, who, like, when I see that character, none of it says Jerry West to me from his look, his demeanor, his behavior, breaking stuff. You know, like one of the first times we see him, he breaks a putter and storms off the, the green at the, at the country club, um, you know, throwing a, a trophy through his window at the office because he's upset that they're going to take magic over Sidney Moncrief. You know, having alcohol on his breath at the office. None of that, none of that is Jerry West. Now, he has his own, you know, quirks and and all kinds of other things. Um, And he's talked about it, right?
1: He's written about it. And his his, his memoir. Very open. His
2: autobiography is subtitled, you know, My Tormented Life. So he's very candid about, you know, some of the demons that he's carried with him from his childhood. And, you know, people that cover him in the league are, are very well aware. But the way he carries himself, Um, you know, the class with which he demonstrates, and I think the care with which he has built up his name and reputation to the point that he is the logo and the NBA has never had to apologize for having him serve as the league's logo. Um, You know, this is something, he he does care about his reputation um, and and his public persona, and he has every right to be offended and hurt and and to seek uh, some type of retribution for the way he's been portrayed. Um, It's unfair, and the thing about it is that—and the, the reason I won't just say, oh, well, it's artistic license, you know, you, you know it's, it's just a dramatization, we can do whatever we want. I think that's a cop-out um, on behalf of the producers and the production team for this, because it's so realistic in so, other, so many other ways. The fact that they care about so many of the details— including, in the last episode, the Panasonic advertisements in the Boston Garden, just like you saw back in the 80s. The uniforms look exactly right. The Laker locker room looks exactly the way it did when I first walked into it. So everything about the production— looks the same, including the fact that they used the, the titles and the logos, Lakers and Celtics and all the other teams, without the league's permission, because they wanted to, to seem more authentic, right? So if you're going to say, yeah, we're going to do right. all these things to make this feel authentic, and then to say that the one of the key characters has nothing to do with reality, then to me, you lose the right to use that artistic license umbrella to say, well, we're going to portray him this way. Um, you know, just, I guess... Are you saying that you need some type of, you know, dramatic tension, that you need this type of character? And if you need to fabricate the nature of Jerry West, then maybe it means that the source material is not conducive to making a, an entertaining TV show, which I disagree with because the book is great and because the reality of the Lakers is great. I mean, think about how that first season ends. Uh, you know, Magic having to step in for an injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and going off in that famous Game going 7, I think it's 42-17-9 yep. or whatever it was game that he six. produced that incredible stat line. it was a Game line. 6,
1: too. Yeah, it was on game the road. On like, the road like,
2: like, that's yeah. like a movie, right? And so the reality of this, um, I'm pretty sure the Perlman book starts with Jack McKinney, the coach, falling off the bike and having the accident. And if you think about it, Michael, that's one of the most pivotal moments in the history of the NBA because it leads to Paul West had taken over. More importantly, it leads to Pat Riley coming out of the broadcast booth. Also, the way they portrayed Chick Hearn is really wrong as well. But it leads to Pat Riley coming out of the broadcast booth, joining the Laker bench, of course, eventually um, becoming the head coach. And that affects not only the Lakers, but because of the reputation and the success he had there, he goes to the Knicks and has the best stretch that the Knicks have had since the, you know, Clyde Frazier days back in the early 70s. 70s. And then he yep. goes to Miami And look what that team has meant to the league. Um, I think it's, what, four championships that he won in Miami. Um, And so none of that happens without that that bicycle accident. So that affects three franchises. And, you know, know, just by the extrapolation, how many other teams in the league did the ascension of Pat Riley uh, mean to the NBA? And it starts with that. So, like, you're going to tell me. That bicycle accident, that pivotal moment in the history of the NBA isn't a dramatic enough way to start your series. Instead, they started with Jerry Buss walking through the, the leftovers of an orgy at the Playboy Mansion. You know, so that just well, yeah, well, showing hey, well, you right listen, away well, listen, that they're, come going on, for the, they're going for the sensational <laughs> Wait, rather than the reality. That's how the, that's how the show hey. started. The first season, he listen, wakes up in bed with a woman and then walks out and there's all these naked people in, in okay. the living room. Come
1: on. Now, listen, 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 listen. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. we know known each other for a long time. Long time, long time, Jay, Donde. So I agree with you. I'm on Jerry West's side. I understand why he's upset. He should be upset, all that. But you know, if, if a director, if you're, if you're a run-of-the-mill director, writer, has, okay, I got two options. I can go with Jack McKinney falling off that bike, <laughs> <laughs> or hey, I got somebody in bed after an orgy. Let's see which one's gonna grab you by the lapels. I, I think they're gonna go with the uh, the latter. That's just that's just the way it's going go. right? So I understand I understand why they took why they're reaching for the sensational elements. But I don't understand why this one. Why Jerry West? Why, why Jerry West? Okay, you can keep Jerry West as is. And all the great things you said about him, all the things that we know about him as basketball fans. Keep Jerry West as is. And then, you know, turn up the party scene. Like, turn up something else. Like, if, instead of a, he was with three women making six. Uh, you know, this guy cussed this guy out. Make You know, forget about a cussing out. Have him throwing punches. Whatever it is. But why would you take somebody like Jerry West and turn him into a monster? I don't get it. I don't it. get
2: it. It's, it's it's a crutch and and I have no, you know, entertainment production background, right? Um I mean but I, I will send ourselves so, these so folks,
1: but you how how long were you in LA? How long were you at the LA Times?
2: I mean, I, I was in LA. I was at the Times for for 12 years and then, you know, or or yeah. 10 years and then 10 years at ESPN, you know. So I, I spent a good two decades back yeah. in L.A. as so an adult. So, you know,
1: I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I said. You, know, you know, and, LA and, culture, and Michael, you know, that included
2: yeah. seeing Jerry Jerry Buss out and about. You know, so the Jerry Buss portrayal, it's not as egregious as Jerry West. I, I will just say it's it's more exaggerated. Jerry Buss was actually pretty low-key, um, mm. uh, you know, even though he you know he kind of had this playboy lifestyle, but he was pretty subdued guy, and he's a lot more boisterous. But I will say in John C. Riley's portrayal, I, I, I see elements of Jerry Jerry Buss in it. It's an enhanced version of Jerry Buss. Um, I really like Salmon Hughes's portrayal of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In in uh, you know I think he catches the cerebral and yes aloof aspect of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now again why w- why wasn't that good enough? Why did they have to tell him have him tell a little kid uh, to f off, which is what they had him do in the show, which Kareem says he never did. Um, I'm not buying Magic Johnson. Well, I don't know about I, you. I think...
1: I think they probably they probably combined, you know Kareem. As you said, you know Kareem was not the most popular guy when he played. So the cerebral, aloof Kareem in real life, then the airplane Kareem, when the kid comes <laughs> right. back, you know, hey, you know. I've been hearing this since I was at UCLA. <laughs> Tell your you try drag it dragging it around up and down for yeah, 48 yeah, minutes. For 48 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> you see. So I think it combined those and then went to something else. But, you know, there are going to be many – I think there are going to be many Lakers who – because it's L.A., man. There are going to be many Lakers who want their own opportunity to tell the story of that era. I know Magic has something coming out pretty soon. Yeah, it's dropping
2: tomorrow, coming on Apple TV Plus, So That's why I had the If It's Magic, which is also a shout-out to his his, uh, short-lived late-night talk show, remember? But the highlight of that show, the very first night – yeah, Whitney Houston come out and she's saying, "If it's magic to him on the set," and then that that was the, it peaked right there, and it kind of all went downhill it. after that. Um, but but it, it was a great moment, um, and and so we'll see what moments. You know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I guess the thing is with with, with Magic's. You know, we, we've seen—we had that Magic and Bird documentary that HBO did. We've had documentaries about the 1979 championship game. We had a 30 for 30 about Magic Johnson and the HIV announcement. So we've seen a number of elements of Magic before. So I'm curious. Uh, it, it's almost like, what more can they tell us? Um, but that's well, what I'm curious about. Like, okay, what more can it—you know, uh, really more than, maybe they tell us more about post-1991. Right. Like, well, I think yeah. we've seen everything from 1979 to 1991 cover. Um, I'd be more interested if they showed us the last two years or the last two or three decades. That's a great actually. point.
1: I'm going to answer that question. What more can they tell us? I think these uh, documentaries do well when people are just honest and unfiltered. So generally, like these things, whether it's, you know, HBO, Showtime, Peacock, whatever it is, sometimes they're really uh, well scripted and, and managed and filtered. And so you get a good story, but it's a story that somebody wants you to see. And somebody is very self-conscious of how the story is portrayed. I, like, I think the story is great when you just say, all right, here it is. Here it right. is. I'll tell you everything. And I said this at the time. That wasn't true. I was actually thinking about this. It's really like, uh, and, and this is a high, I mean, completely different context, I know, but I'm just thinking of, when you, what, what triggers this comment I'm about to make is what you said about what more can we see? What more can we see? We've seen a lot of this already. I felt the same thing about uh, Ezra Edelman's OJ project before I saw it. Right. Before I saw the OJ Made in America, I was like, man, come on. Because like, I, I, we, we lived I heard through it. it. We lived through I, it. I, I, I was I watching CNN it. every I heard day. It, I saw it. I mean, I mean, so many, uh, countless rappers have, have, have dropped brilliant lines about it. Most deaf shout out most deaf. I mean, a lot of people have <laughs> rapped about it. So come on. But then I saw it. It was amazing. And I think part of the reason it was amazing uh, is that I don't really know where the filmmaker stood. I don't know. He didn't it wasn't slanted at, at one point. I'm like, oh, is he pro cop? No, right. is he anti-cop? Oh, is he pro-OJ? Oh, is he oj well, What anti- he did Ogin. was give you the,
2: the context, Michael. I mean, they did a great, great. job of, of setting job. everything up, how everything led to that moment, right? And it was about so much more than, than the trial or the Bronco chase, yeah. right? There was awesome. so much awesome that led up to all those moments and who OJ was and Los Angeles and race in America. Um, even, even as comprehensive as that was, though, so in this case, the fictionalized version, that FX story, I forget the, the name of the FX series. Yeah. But um, to me, that had value because that did things like one episode kind of showed us what Marsha Clark was going through. And she was dealing, I think, with, with like custody issues with, with, with her kid and, and, her ex- and like so and obviously a lot of that had to be fictionalized. But I, I thought it, made, it gave you a, a fuller understanding of some of the people involved in this story. We kind of got a backstory of Johnny Cochran getting pulled over by a police officer, right? That, and maybe—I'm sure that was apocryphal, but it kind of gave a sense to, like, OK, what was the backstory? What were these people going through? What were their motivations? So I think in those cases, a fictionalized version can help. Um, You know, and and there's a need for even things that have been covered. I will say this with times, and the reason I continue to watch it, it's just fascinating to see the origin story of this. And in particular for me, because I did wind up getting to know all of these people. And so it's funny to see these guys, to to see how they were then, in a way that I couldn't understand them as a nine-year-old watching the 79, 80 80 Lakers. Um, You know, seeing what they were like, seeing what the situation was like seeing who they were behind the scenes, even if it's very fictionalized, um, you know, and then to think like, wow, I actually know all these people. They all knew me. I mean, what I've tried to do is try to enjoy just some of the moments, like the Red Hourback jerry Bus showdown that they have standing on the middle of yeah. a court in an empty forum. Never happened, obviously, right? But it was an interesting, well-written, and well-acted scene. So, like, I can appreciate it for that rather than... Um, yeah you know, an insight as to who these people are.
1: It's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Hey, I'm with you, Jerry West. Jerry West.
2: The logo. We you. love you. They did you wrong.
1: All he, asked for, all he asked for was a retraction. That's it. Just take <laughs> it back. Just say, I, I don't want your money. Just take it back.
3: And that's uh, you know, one of my favorite spots and uh I, I just missed from uh from right there to uh, to end the game. Uh so you know, I just thought, you know, great play call. Uh Tobias had an amazing screen. Um uh, Danny had a great pass, so all I had to do really to was to finish it and uh I'm glad I did it. Uh, obviously I wasn't aggressive enough in the first half and think I only have four or five shots attempts. Uh, so I uh, just said we were down by 10. So, you know, coming out of halftime, uh, I knew those first f- uh, those first few minutes were going to be huge. So I just wanted to kind of like go back to, you know, imposing myself and trying to be aggressive. And uh, that's what I did. And then obviously I'd, as a team, we did a good job too, of uh, just getting stops uh, when we needed them. And offensively, just moving the ball. All right, look, last
1: night, uh, Toronto has a lead on Philadelphia. I'm thinking Tom Habistro. I'm thinking, okay, it's about to be 2-1. It's going to be a competitive series. Philly comes back, forces overtime, and then the Sixers run a play for their center to shoot a three. (laughs) And he does it and he makes it. So I don't know, Tom, if you voted for him as your MVP. I, I do know you voted for Jokic, but that's beside the point. This is why he's in the conversation What did you see from that play from Embiid? What are you seeing from the Sixers Raptors series?
7: Man, shouts to Doc Rivers for getting that timeout. I mean, he ran across the the (laughs) court, he sprinted, he was Usain Bolt trying to get the attention of the referees to get that play call drawn up, that, that drawn up. And I gotta say, why are we still not guarding the inbounder in 2022? It was insane. Like, the fact that Danny Green had such an open pass to Joel Embiid. Yes, Tobias Harris bulldozed Precious Achua to get him open, and he hit an incredible shot. Joel Embiid hit an incredible shot. But I still don't know. If you watch that play, there's no one guarding the inbounder, so he gets a clean look to get it to Joel Embiid. And secondly, Fred Van Vliet, who's maybe five foot ten, maybe, He's under the basket playing the rim protector on that play and just playing roaming as the safety under the rim. And he has to come from like 20 feet away just to contest Joel Embiid because Precious to is just on the floor basically from that screen. So watching that play, Doc Rivers drew up an amazing X's and O's. But I just did not understand Nick Nurse and that game plan to have Fred Van Vliet just being the rim protector and just leaving Joel Embiid open for that play. Amazing shot. And I will say this, Michael, and maybe Jay Donde backs me up on this. Jokic can hit that shot too. So yes, Embiid <laughs> hit that, but Jokic has a jumper as well. Is, is
2: Jokic bringing the team back from double digits on the road, though? The way the way that Embiid led them last night. I, I want to get back to, to Nick Nurse real quick because you had some some critiques there of um, really like the whole second half. So I, I didn't I didn't start watching until after the Sixers came back, but it just seemed like once it got close, like what what were the Raptors doing on offense? Like, what was their plan? Like, have, have you deciphered it, Tom? Can you tell me what their agenda is on offense? Because it just seemed like some dudes out there playing hoops.
7: Yeah, I'm really searching for reasons why Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam just haven't showed up yet. I mean, you look at Pascal Siakam in the second half, he had zero points, J.A., zero Mm -hmm. in the second half. And Fred Van Vliet's been kind of gimpy through the second half of the year, um, and he hasn't been playing well at all. And I picked actually the 76ers to lose in this series because I thought Fred Van Vliet, the coaching of Nick Nurse, I thought they were going to run circles um, around Doc Rivers in this series because I expected, you know, Doc got – DeAndre Jordan, and he loves to play those bigs. And I thought they were going to just go small and just terrorize Joel Embiid out there. But Tyrese Maxey has been excellent. And the fact of the matter is, J.A., the stars for the 76ers have shown up and the stars for the for the uh, well, Raptors have not.
2: Are you saying James Harden's shown up? I mean, he was on the bench they're fouling out in overtime.
7: Is hey, he are you saying that Maxi isn't better than James Harden for the second half of the season? I mean, I'm just saying, Maxie Ooh, has this, been I, fantastic. Wow, I, I will say Maxie's made well, more of an impact on this series wow. than James Harden. We can
2: say that, right? We can agree on that.
7: Yep, yep. And I just exactly. think Maxi has been incredible and hitting shots, big shots, playing so hard. And, and Harden, look, like... He, ha- he doesn't have that burst anymore. His hamstrings have been a problem over the last couple of years. And I think when you're looking at him, I don't think he has that 1st that first step to get by guys to get to the rack anymore. He's really, really uh, leaning on the officials more than ever right now to get you know, efficient points around the basket.
1: Uh, I got I to uh, go back to that one of those uh, headlines we just put up. It said, no team has lost an uh, NBA playoff series leading three-zip. And I figure it brings the pressure right back to Glenn. Doc Rivers, doesn't it? We have heard so many times so many times how, you know, Doc's teams have blown some 3-1 series leads. That's what got him out of Los Angeles. Uh, So he's been there before. Uh, Do you think the pressure and you already mentioned him Tom? You said, you know, you figured Nick nurse would run circles around him, which is also criticism. Are you trying to say that? Doc Rivers is one of the weak points for the Philadelphia
7: 76ers? Hey, I'm just saying, you know, history has not been too kind to Doc Rivers when he's in these kind of uh, battles with, with, you know, a size advantage and maybe going more traditional. But he's been great. He's been fantastic in this series. And I just, when I look at Doc Rivers in this situation, you have to remember he was not hired by Daryl Morey when he took over for that job um, in Philly. Daryl Morey came in after that. So I always... When, when Doc Rivers is calling out James Harden for his ball hogging in, in, um, earlier this season, and he already called out Ben Simmons and created a, that whole uh, saga, I just think when I'm looking at this series, I did not see his coaching as being a strong point. He was going at reporters about DeAndre Jordan and Paul Reed. It just seemed to me that there was a lot of just controversy swirling this team, but he has done an amazing job executing in this series.
2: So, Tom, I, w- I want to ask you a question about the Nets, because I-, I-, I refuse to look up any stats or info on them just because I- they've-, they've just been so overcovered, I just feel like we've been overwhelmed and inundated with Nets. So, like, I'm not looking up a single more bit of information about them. But what data have you seen that's telling the story of what's happening in this Nets Celtics series?
7: Well Kevin Durant was is one for 10 in on ISOs in this series. He's trying to do it all by himself. He's getting to the mid-range and pulling up and they're going switching on everything, double teaming him. And I mean when you look at the fact that he's made 13 baskets and he's had 12 turnovers. This is Kevin Durant. He's wow. dribbling off his hands. He's 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 just he's fumbling the ball. They're they're fouling him, they're just throwing multiple bodies at him. Jason Tatum has blocked him twice on mid-range jumpers. Have you ever seen a guy block him once, much less twice in a series? It's been incredible the Boston defense. And this is why the other day on Levitard Show, I got a lot of heat for this, but I, I didn't think Marcus oh, Smart deserved to be the defensive player of the year because this is team defense. Like the Belt Boston Celtics defense might be quarterbacked by Marcus Smart. But they switch, and Al Horford has been amazing. Jason Tatum has been uh, phenomenal guarding Kevin Durant. And I think the voters were a little lazy uh, by just Mm. looking at, hey, who's the best defense in the league? All right, it's Robert Williams is going to be the Defensive player of the year. And he gets hurt, and then suddenly it goes to Marcus Smart. I think it was just, I don't know, this defense, udoka has been amazing. Um, orchestrating this defense, the switch defense. And I think when you look at Kevin Durant, that's it. They're throwing multiple bodies, multiple capable defenders. And the reason why they're the number one defense in the NBA is not principally uh, Marcus Smart, because they got so many switchable defenders. Grant Williams, shout out to him. He's been fantastic as well.
1: Man, I love the way you just get right. It's incisive, J.A. He says... (laughs) The voters got it wrong on Marcus Smart. Boom. There's the headline. Then he said the voters are lazy. Boom. Another one. I mean, throwing haymakers, Uh, but okay. In this series, Jason Tatum primary defender on on Kevin Durant. Very good. Uh, Actually, not just very good. Great. You think Tatum has entered? It's a small group now. Don't make any allowances for him. It's either. Yes or no. Is he a top right now? You got to go top five guy in the NBA. Is he top five? Small group. Not
7: for me. Top 10, yes. Top seven, he's right there. Uh, But top five, man, I'll go KD, Luka, uh, Jokic, Embiid, and right. I'm probably Giannis. I mean, there's five right there. Um, And it's going to be tough for Jason Tatum to penetrate that top five group in the NBA. And look, that's not a slight on him. It's he's been playing great on both ends of the floor. And this is one of the reasons why I was not high on the partnership between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You look at the great all time duos when they win championships because these guys play both ends of the floor and Kyrie Irving, I'm sorry, is just not a guy who's going to give you, put put a dent on the other team defensively. So everything is offense. If he's, if his shot is not hitting, Kyrie Irving isn't able to give that kind of superstar impact on the other end of the floor. and So that puts so much more on, on the shoulders of Kevin Durant. Um, And that's a big reason why Jason Tatum's in that conversation for top five. I think he's probably top seven. But he brings it on both ends of the floor. You see, he is absolutely walking into that m- matchup against Kevin Durant and thinking he can go toe-to-toe with that guy. And ha- how many players can say that?
2: It's, I mean, we're talking top fives. One of the things I love about this year's edition of the playoffs is that it is providing this opportunity for people to move up in the rankings, so to speak, right? It's right there. It's like if Jason Tatum gets on a roll, like we have to change the way we think about him, right? Just like last year, Trey Young moved up a few notches based on his performance in the playoffs. John Moran, I would say even a first round loss, changed the way that we think about him and continue that this year. Um, So it's wide open. There's a lot of guys I think that can enter into a higher tier this year. Who do you think will be the one who does it?
7: Well, it could be Jason Tatum, because think about it this way, Jay. That Chris Middleton injury, when he's going to be out from anywhere from like two weeks to four, four weeks with the MCL sprain. The biggest beneficiary of that is Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics, because they're matched up against them in the next round. If they lose Chris Middleton, the Bucs do over the next, you know, first couple games of that series, then it's going to be, hey, Giannis. It's time like it's time <laughs> to go into that full finals Giannis mode and see what they can do. So the Celtics could be the beneficiary of that injury and have a situation where Giannis, who is crowned the best player in the world after he won the finals in an incredible fashion. But this year, if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the Celtics beat the Milwaukee Bucks to go to the conference finals, that could be the Ooh. ascension that people are looking for. I love that, that. If
2: you want to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? I would love That's if right. it's head to head. If he personally dethrone, like if he's going to be the guy, I would like for him to have to personally dethrone Giannis to get there.
1: You know what, uh, uh, Tom? We cannot uh, get you out of here without talking to you about Miami, with your Miami background, uh, the <laughs> Miami Heat. We, only, I mean, we said I said to Mike yesterday, this is we only respect teams like this in the playoffs when they win. When these teams go into playoffs and they lose, hey, see, this is why you can't have a team like this. They don't have enough explosive players. Uh, they're just too defensive-oriented. They're not dynamic enough. But when they win, we say, oh, see, this is how you get it done. Miami it just is, is such an underrated number one. I know they're not traditional 60-win number one seed, but they just know how to get things done, don't they, when it really matters.
7: Man, I love the way they play defense. We talk about two-way stars. Jimmy Butler's in that conversation, too. The way he can drop 45 points in a, in a playoff game but also give a lot defensively. Um, that activity on defense is what sets the Miami, uh, Miami uh, the, their championship contention apart from, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks are very much oriented around Giannis Antetokounmpo and his defense. But everyone, one through five, Kyle Lowry, uh, PJ Tucker, Jimmy Butler, uh, Bam Adebayo—they're bringing it defensively, and I just think they've got a really high ceiling. Well coached by Eric Spoelstra, there was a little bit of a blip there when that when they went at each other, uh, Spo and Jimmy Butler, and there was a weird like four-game losing streak. And I had questions about their ability to score in the half-court, but when Jimmy Butler is playing this aggressive and shooting from beyond the arc, which he did not do for the entire season, when he's doing this man, their ceiling is as high as anybody in the league. And actually, I'm going to pause there and say, I, I actually think that the number one team in the league right now is Golden State Warriors. After what we saw this week with Stephen Woo. Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green, wow. like we, we have to say this is the new uh, championship favorite in my book, the Golden State Warriors. My counter
2: to that is that we were saying the same thing at the start of the year when the Warriors were doing the same thing, winning big at home. Right, they had a ton of home games to start the season. They looked great, and we thought, oh, when they get when they get Klay uh, Thompson back, it's over. And then the rest of the season didn't play out that way. So that's my only caution as we look at them winning big at home to start these playoffs, looking great with Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole and Steph Curry coming off the bench and all that. Is that the way it played out in the regular season? We saw this, and and it didn't. They they didn't come into the playoffs, for example, as the favorite. They might be right now. But, um, you know, let, let, let's let's not forget what transpired this season. Let's learn a little bit from what we yeah. saw. Is, is that too much to ask?
7: Nope. Man, I just go back, J.A., to all the games where they just tear the hearts out of their opponent on their floor. I think about Houston and Steph Curry, and they're going on that run in Houston. I don't think they're phased by, you know, home or road. Like, these are three, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry, these are three championship uh, pedigree players that I don't think that stuff phases them anymore. I know for the Jordan Pools of the world, maybe, but if Steph Curry's healthy, uh, and that was a big question mark. The reason why they were the title favorites was not about their abilities; it was about the health around Steph Curry. And when he's dropping those, I mean, it's been incredible what he's been doing. When he is out there healthy, I just man, Draymond and Steph healthy—that is, that is, in my opinion, the best duo in the NBA. That definitely may be
1: brought the back best some memories. At- yeah, that may be the best duo in the NBA, but I'm gonna say, say goodbye to you on this Tom. The best trio in TV, radio, any <laughs> kind of media. Three bald, beautiful men right here. Three <laughs> right are like here. bald right here. And like we were talking, we're gonna do a show, maybe a podcast or something in the future about you know bald tips. Just tips. Just tips on how to how to make it's not easy, right? Guys? It's not, a, it's not as easy as it looks. Everybody can't, you know, do a baldy the right way. No? Can you back me up on you, that? You,
2: you got to work in. I think you lead the discussion here. I'm, I'm going with your head as, as rank number one. <laughs>
7: yeah, but he's got some help. I'm doing this by myself, guys. I'm doing this with just one You're razor. Not supposed
1: to say that. Shh, shh, shh. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say that. I, I told you that in confidence. Come oh, on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, Is that me? I mean, can your sources like I don't know if you can your sources trust you? Can your sources trust yeah. that you gonna uh, hold on the information? Hey. This
7: I gotta give a shout out to my parents. It's all genetics, not just I have a, a a nicely shaped head, but I also went bald very quickly at a young age, and so I was able to commit at a young age. Reps,
1: yeah. So that's it. Uh, yeah, shout out to the parents because you know what? <laughs> that is, you know, you slept on your stomach. You slept on your stomach. Probably not on the back. You probably don't have a flat head. That's all the folks. You had no say in the matter. They just did the right thing. Tom Haberstro, man. Appreciate you.
7: Appreciate you guys. Always good to see you, Jay. Good to see you, Tom.
5: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: All right, which teams could try to trade for Debo Samuel? Why are we asking this question? This question would have been unthinkable. Would have been unthinkable two weeks ago, a week ago. But it's a story now because Devo Samuel says he wants to be traded from the San Francisco 49ers. In a since-deleted tweet, Chris Sims, brother Sims, he has said, there are only a few people who know why I want to go. It's me, it's my agent, uh, and it's somebody else with the 49ers. That's it. But then he deleted that tweet. So I got to ask you, uh, one, why does he want to be traded? And two, would you trade him?
0: Uh, wh- why I don't know. I mean, I made calls last night. I've been trying to dig here to get to the bottom of this. Something I said to Florio on Pro Football Talk earlier today. The only thing I was led, but there's more to this that I just don't know yet. Is I was kind of led to believe—not led to believe—I was led to believe that he didn't want to live in California anymore either. That that was a real part of the equation. Now. I just think or know, gut feeling, some of the language used by certain people in text, that there's more there to this story, and I just haven't got to the bottom of that yet. So hopefully next week when I'm back on with you, I can give you those answers. Now, trading them, hey, I mean, I wouldn't want to trade them. You'd have to blow my doors off, all right? To me, this is the best receiver in football. There's nobody better than Debo Samuel, you know? Hey, we, you know, I, I, this is my kind of guy. I, I'm Debo Samuel, Jamar Chase, guys that can catch five-yard slants and go 80 yards for a touchdown. You know, maybe not the most precise route runner to get seven yards on first and ten, but can make touchdowns from anywhere on the football field. And that's a difference maker. He's very special in his skill set. He's built like a running back. He can play running back, yet he's one of the best receivers in football. He's quick. He is a good route runner. He can beat you deep. There's really nothing he can't do. And the other thing, part of this, like, Shanahan, first off, we know, I know, loves Debo Samuel. Loves him. You know, you got a new quarterback in Trey Lance who, you know, looks like he's going to be the guy that takes over the reins. Here's the guy that helps him the most. Debo Samuel will make that transition a lot easier than if he's not there. So from that aspect alone, I would think, the 49ers do not want to trade away one of the best players on their team and the guy that could probably help their rookie quarterback who they invested more into than any other quarterback here in recent history. So you know, that's the thing I look at. And then that last part is the trade. I think a trade for Debo Samuel, this is going to be year four, is going to be steeper than the Devontae Adams trade or the Tyree mm. Kill trade. So mm. that's where I have I I don't think it's gonna happen is what I'm gonna say because I are think he's not gonna what, want it.
1: What would you what would you uh, I, I think this,
0: this could get into multiple what would you I ask think for? this could be a two fir, two first rounds, right? I yeah. think you could end up seeing that type of thing here. I mean this is arguably the best non quarterback in foop, or non quarterback on the offensive side of the ball in football. I think you could put him in that conversation as well. And then you add to the fact here, this is maybe explains it best, Michael Holly is we're talking about a guy who's, a course, explosive, one of the best receivers, one of the league leaders in yards per catch, average, right? And mm. they probably throw the ball shorter than any team in football. So that just tells you how special it is. He can make a whole lot of chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. And that's why it's going to take a haul to get Debo Samuel, in my opinion.
2: Chris, the more I think about it, the more what you were hearing and what you've been speculating on, that this is about maybe proximity to home and location, right? And that's why he wants out of California. He's a guy from from South Carolina, uh, because some of the theories out there is that he doesn't like being used as a running back that much. NFL media put out the stat that he'd carried, he carried—he had 80 rushes in his last 11 games. I mean, that's starting to get a lot of work as a running back. Um, and you feel like that would be easy to fix if that was the issue, right, especially a guy like, like Shanahan where, you know, you just find different ways to get him the ball rather than just handing it off to him. So it, d- does that to you indicate that, um, you know, it, it can't just be about usage, that there's got to be other things in play?
0: Yeah, definitely, J.A. I, I, I think you're spot on. I know that that is out there, that, you know, well, maybe he doesn't want to play running back and take those hits. Shanahan's as cool as they come. All he'd have to do is go, I don't want to play running back and take those hits. And Shanahan's going to go, okay, best player on the team or most explosive receiver in football. We won't do that that much. It's not going to take that much. You know, Shanahan, we've seen, he's got a good way with players. You don't really hear players ever leave there or go there and have negative things to say. He knows how to communicate with guys. That's for sure, you know. Raheem Mostert said he was going to leave town a few years ago. He talked him back into it, kept him in town. There was another, uh, gosh, I'm blanking, another player that that happened to. So I would bet Shanahan, who loves Debo, at the Super Bowl, me and Florio interviewed Debo, he tried to call Shanahan right there with us there. He seemed (laughs) like he loved Shanahan. So I don't know where or what. But yes, J.A., I just got to think there's something else here and other than just where you're living. You know, I understand that, you guys know this. Players are simple in a lot of ways. Yeah, they want their friends, their family, that's very important to them. A lot of these guys grew up in small towns. You know, they're mama's boy. I'm a self-proclaimed mama's boy. You don't like being far from mama and the rest of the family. And I think that could be a real thing, but I'm, I just don't think that's the only thing. I gotta think there's something else.
1: Uh, uh, Sims, we have to ask J.A. this question. How does he feel about somebody not wanting to live in California, man? I mean, that's that's, uh, it's that's home team. Right They're like, it's, come it's on, like, what? <laughs> to me. How you feel about this? I mean, this? I will say this: in that tax bracket, knowing that
2: California Woo. has the highest state taxes, you know, like, oh, wow. I, you're, you're talking to someone, you know, well, I, I stole property in California, but guess what? I pay taxes in Illinois because I make my money here in Illinois, and I'm, i You better believe I'm going to pay half the tax rate on my state taxes than I would if I was paying taxes in California.
1: I don't worry.
0: Don't let keep your ego in check. You know, I'm from New Jersey. People are trying to get the hell out of there all the time. So don't worry. <laughs> hey,
1: hey and Sims, you got to tell me about some of your rankings. I, I know uh, with your wide receiver rankings, you don't have another Debo Samuel coming up, but you know, who, who, who have you looked at recently on film that has really, I know you really dig into this stuff. Who's got you excited uh, to see them uh, in, in the NFL?
0: Yeah, I, there, I mean, listen. I got a. I, I'm done with all the draft stuff. I got a great feel for it. You know, I've watched probably over 200 players at this point. Um, you know, the last week I've been on D tackles and linebackers. All right. Holy crap, the, D tra- the 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 Georgia D tackles. All right, they're the two best D tackles in the draft. That's for sure. Jordan Davis and uh, Devontae Wyatt are. Unreal. And both top 10 picks, in my opinion. You know, I mean, Jordan wow. Davis is top. Vita Vea, except so top 10 more talent. athletic. Wow. I think so. I, I don't understand why there's not more buzz about these guys being in that range, really. I mean, again, if you tell me you can have Vita Vea in the top 10, I'd go, oh, yes, sir. Oh, wait, and he's faster and has more range than Vita Vea? <laughs> yes, sir, I'll take that. Oh, and then Devontae Wyatt, uh, he's the best three technique. He's the best D tackle in the draft. His film to me was every bit as and better than Quentin, uh, Quentin Williams, who came out of Alabama as the number three pick in the draft a few years ago. So the damn those two Georgia guys are unreal and I don't think are getting valued high enough in my opinion. Also, I'll throw in another Georgia conversation here because I just think the guy deserves some love. I mean, you see Devontae Wyatt there, 6'3, 307 pounds, can really run. The other Georgia linebacker, okay, we all know about N'Kobe Dean, right? Everybody talks about him. Quay Walker, 6'4", 241, is the best linebacker on the Georgia team, in my opinion. That, that to me, is the second best LB in the draft. So, yes, well, I, and well. don't be shocked if you see his name called before N'Kobe Dean. More teams are going to like the, uh, you know, I'm, I always blanket all these damn names, Quay Walker, than they are Nicole B. Dean, who's going to be for a small, fast defense. So, you know, those are things that have jumped out to me here as of late that are really impressive. We're not going to see a quarterback in the top ten, I don't think. I think you could see eight first-round offensive linemen. You can ask me whatever you want about the draft right now. I feel pretty good, so go ahead. Let's do it. Well, Chris, I'm, I'm going to
2: ask you sort of philosophical thing because you're, you're raving about the Georgia guys. The last time we saw Georgia, they were dominating in the national championship game, and yet year after year, we see NFL personnel execs not go off what we saw, what we all saw And think that, okay, combine results or interviews or or pro day workouts or anything other than the results on the field, the performance on the field, it seems like that's the number one criteria for how they draft. Why? Help me understand,
0: Chris. Why? Well, what is it that you want to know why? Just as far as what they see on the field? Why can't people
2: see what you saw, which was that these guys dominated in the games when you watch the game tape? And why does that – you seem to doubt that people are going to view these draft selections the the way that you do, right?
0: And and I'm just wondering
2: why again and again do they get it so wrong?
0: Well, again, it's not easy. And who's to say I'm going to be right all the way either? I'm wrong too sometimes. I am. There's no doubt. I'm right more than I'm wrong, and that's why I get paid a lot of money. Come on now. Come on now. There you go. Tell him. Tell him. You know, I do think at times – People don't look at the right things. You know, first off, way too many people in this side of the business are into production and stats. And I just want to go, such an overrated thing. It's just, don't go into that. Look at the player. Look at what he's doing. What's his job he's being asked to do? Is he doing his job, and is he doing then some and even more? And that's what you got to look at. Like, let's take, for instance... um, Walker, right? They're the defense end, who's going to be the number two pick in the draft, maybe number one, Trayvon Walker. I think it will go Aiden Hutchinson, then Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker, you know, why he was ranked so low by a lot of the so-called draft experts is because, you know, in my opinion, a lot of them don't understand what was being asked of him to do. He wasn't even being asked to play, play the right way for what he is. Maybe for Georgia, but not for what he is. And see, this is when the GMs and the NFL coaches get involved, started the draft process, and they go, wait, why do we have this guy 31st on the board? This is like the freakiest (laughs) guy on the field, and they had him doing stuff that really didn't suit him. You know, a lot of the times he was head up on the tackle, like two-gapping him and just standing there and trying to read the play, where, you know, you just go, wait, if you move him out and just let the rush the passer, he's going to ruin every tackle in football and just be an absolute beast. So you have to be able to decipher through things like that. And I think sometimes uh, people don't do that or they look at stats too much and it's just a little overrated. You can, you can have good stats and really not play that well. You know, sacks can fall in your lap, coverage sacks, all of that type of stuff. So you got to look a little deeper
1: than that. All right. Uh, and last thing for you, I don't want to hear about Aiden Hutchinson. Don't want to hear about Walker now since you've given me a great scouting report on him. Other than those two. The best player in this draft, regardless of position, Christopher Sims, our brother from another, is who? Oh,
0: man. All right. So let me just give you the finalists here for this. All right. (laughs) I mean, Kyle Hamilton is in that conversation. Sauce Gardner's in that conversation. I think ultimately, though, I'd go with one of the tackles if I had to do that. To me... Evan Neal and Icky Aquanu, Neal from Alabama, Icky from North Carolina State, I think those would be the next guys after the two pass rushers. I bet you more teams will like Icky Aquanu because he's, his t- tape is cleaner, he's better in all areas. If you just stack them up and check boxes, you'd go, oh, Icky Ikwanu is better than Evan Neal. I make Evan Neal my number one tackle. Because I put a little bit more on pass protection, and he's the best pass-protecting left tackle I've seen come out in the draft in a while. Nobody even gets close to an Alabama cornerback coming off that side. So, you know, there's, he's a little less in the run game, but his pass protection is so freaking good that this is the NFL 2022. That's just there's more importance to that, and I'm going to make him one. So I think one of those two guys would be the next guy up on the list, Holly.
1: Chris Sims, check him out on PFT. Check him out. On the Unbuttoned Podcast. And you got to know Adonde at the end. got to put the fingers up. You Peace the fingers out, Adonde.
0: Next time, I'm in the middle yeah. so we can be Oreo cookies. Okay? That's what right, I We already did <laughs> that. I'm in the middle. Yeah, We got to mix, <laughs> mix it up. you We got to
1: mix it up sometimes. Get some power you in your that.
0: own show, Holly. Get me there. I mean, damn. <laughs> tell the I, director. I, I, run the show. Hey, listen.
1: Damn. This could be misinterpreted. This could be misinterpreted, but I don't want Oreos every day.
4: Every now and
0: then. Every now and then. Every now and then. You're right. They're a little sweet. I hear you. Don't (laughs) be (laughs) that long. stop, though? Scared. Mint (laughs) Oreo?
1: That could be a a political (laughs) statement. That could be. I didn't mean it to be. I know.
0: (laughs) You can throw in a mint Oreo.
5: (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters.
1: I love talking to folks that we haven't talked to before, creatives, intellectuals, and as look, look at this, listen to this description of Ari Chambers, writer, journalist, women's sports and cultural culture connoisseur. I mean, like, that is like, hey, Ari, you can't really get a better intro than that. I, I really want That's somebody to Twitter say bio. that about me. I just, I just right love the,
4: the picture that y'all chose, like the, 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 the very dramatic picture y'all
2: chose. Looking serious. That it's was a great weird note. picture. No nonsense. That's a great so, picture, though. So that let us know right away, you're not here to mess around.
1: <laughs> Never. Not here to mess around. Never. And We're
3: not as I said,
1: with. well, first of all, uh, welcome to the show. And as I said to you before we came on, uh, I need, I need the hoodie that you have on right now. So before this show is out, you can tell me and tell others how to get that hoodie, because so I'm going to wear is that. Actually,
4: yeah, this is actually a hoodie that is a special collaboration with Player Society and the WNBA, and Player Society is Black-owned and distributed, and we love Esther, and so we try to support everything that she does, and it has all the teams on it, and it's just a nice little contrast to the orange hoodie.
1: All right, well, great. Well, we will check that out. We'll be rolling with that. I want to ask you, uh, first off, uh, off the jump, I knew you grew up, I know you grew up in the, uh, you grew up in the Carolinas, and we saw South Carolina uh, win the uh, championship. Don Staley doing that thing, a champion as a player, a champion as a coach, uh, an Olympian. You know, what did that mean to you as someone who's from that area, And what do you think it it means for women's basketball to see uh, South Carolina and Dawn Staley accomplish so much?
4: I just love the culture that she's built within the Carolinas um, North and South Carolina like she played for the Charlotte Sting and I grew up watching her uh, in the WNBA and you know just following her career throughout her her coaching journey and for her to go down to South Carolina and establish the Gamecocks is the, un, undeniably the best team in South Carolina and being the highest paid coach like that I think she got $22.4 million um, as her contract extension just being able to cultivate that greatness and do it with a black team means so much a lot of times people try to write off black history they try to write off black women in the sport space but um, she's the only coach men or women um, that's a black coach to win two national titles, and she's an Olympic gold medalist as a coach and a player. She just exudes excellence, and I told her, like, growing up, I was able to see you in these spaces, and so I was able to feel seen, and now you make these women be the next, you know, groundwork for other black players to feel seen and you can just exude greatness despite um, how many times people try to erase you and that's what was so special about this championship we saw a team that was really really slept on even though we do talk about them a lot is really really slept on even though they're undeniably excellent
2: so we, we just showed the, the picture of uh, Dawn Staley ringing the, the Liberty Bell at the Sixers game before the game there and one of the things I love about her is that you know she played Charlotte she went to school in Virginia She coaches in South Carolina, but she stays repping Philly. She is a Philly girl. They love her. She loves her hometown. How does Philly work so well in South Carolina? Because she's never lost that Philly identity, but she seems to have been embraced in South Carolina. Why does that work so well?
4: You know, just like I'm from Raleigh, I rep it to the ends of me. Dawn will rep Philly to, you know, the ends of time. She always <laughs> talks about, you know, being a kid, a competitor on that court and not caring who she played against. And so she takes that that grittiness, that 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 fight mentality down in South Carolina with her, and she's made a team full of people who want to win, who want to be successful, who want to fight for what's theirs. They already own it. Like, they already had it, and it was just theirs to get this year.
1: I'm going to ask you, uh, I mean, I already, already uh, shouted out the hoodie that you have on, but let's talk about the league. You know, last year, I I couldn't have been more entertained uh, from the WNBA finals. And it was a a little bit of a surprise. Great story uh, to see Candace Parker go back home uh, and win the championship uh, with Chicago. I didn't see that one coming. How about this year? Is is there, is there a team or is there a storyline that you're paying attention uh, paying attention to and we should too and you want to uh, give us a little info, a little insight on what we should be looking at for the WNBA yeah. in the upcoming
4: season. But I want to stop you right there because Chicago was gelling at just the right time last year and what a great storybook. And they couldn't have written history better than this. The homecoming for Candace Parker. I love her to death. So I'm, that's the hill I'm going to die on. But as far as this year for season 26, I want to see Connecticut be able to finish it out. They have all the pieces that they need. They have that 2019 team that almost, almost won. But Washington had the edge last um, last time Last face up. Washington's also a contender, but for Connecticut, they were just missing a little bit of depth and they added Dewana Bonner to the team. And now this is, I think, her third season with the Connecticut Sun. And we have the return of Alyssa Thomas, who um, was facing some, some bodily issues with her with her labrum and other issues. And then you have a Natisha Heideman who's getting better each year, a Jasmine Thomas who's still there, a John Claude Jones who's MVP, uh, reigning MVP. You have Brianna Jones, who's reigning most improved. You have Kurt Miller, who was coach of the year last year and has successfully led them to um, the best record in the league year after year. And so I really want to see them close it out. Um, Courtney Williams has returned. So that's a spark that they were missing in the past two years. So Courtney and Dawana and JJ and Brianna and Natisha and Jasmine and the full roster can come together and and close it out for them. But you you can't overlook the Washington Mystics who are coming back. Their core of 2019, where they won the championship, is back together. And if they stay healthy, they're deadly. And Chicago can they go back to back? But Phoenix too, <laughs> back to back. Chicago. So that's what I love about the WNBA is such parity. We don't realize how much parity there. I feel like there's six teams that can contend for a championship this year.
2: Yeah, the, the the depth, and I'd say that you know, women's college basketball too. You know, for so long it was just you know maybe just UConn and Tennessee, and and now it, it we, we see different champions every year. What do you think has led to the depth in women's basketball? Because I think for a long time, the top of it was, was very strong. You just didn't have a lot of competition. Now it just seems like throughout the tournament, throughout the WNBA, there's so much depth in competition. How do we get to this point?
4: So for college, I think that people are players are realizing that they can make a name for themselves within that. You see it with games going back to South Carolina, Asia Wilson decided to stay home and really help build her program. So I think that there's a, a need for that, an urge for that. You saw that with Elisa Kinane for NC State. She, she was from Greensboro. She went to Raleigh um, to play for a team and, and had the most successful class coming in there in the past like two decades, led them to the Elite Eight this year. You see Caitlin Clark. Iowa native who played at Iowa, so they're 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 choosing to stay home and give back, or they're choosing to have a name for themselves in these programs as opposed to you know creating these super teams. So there's parity in that. There's parity in knowing that hey, UConn isn't the only place we can go, but don't get it twisted. UConn is still excellent, but they're battle tested now because people are you know spreading themselves. Um, through different programs and trying to really make their mark and create a legacy, and I love that. I love that for the game. It's so important to the game. And within the WNBA, the reason why there's such parity is because there are only 144 spots. We always talk about expansion. Uh, I know that they were mentioning how 88 people declared for the WNBA draft. That's always how it's been. But why we need expansion is those fourth- and fifth-year players where you know they're excellent, but they're not finding a space on the uh, roster because of cap space, and you know that's a story for a different day. But um, there's so much talent, and the WNBA is packed full of talent that it, it, there's not going to be a major um, – difference between the one seed and the six seed overall. And you see that there's so many people who can contend for a title. I would say like a strong six. It's going to be um, Washington, Connecticut, Chicago, Phoenix, um, the Aces, and I'm missing one that I'm thinking. of. Sue Bird's back in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Seattle to seven. That's seven. You know, um, Seattle, yeah. So it's Super's last year, too. I'm looking forward to see how she goes out with the bang. Her and Sylvia Fowles. Sylvia Fowles I, the game will completely miss her. She's super successful often overlooked, but my goodness they, that that's seven teams. We just listed. that could easily win a championship.
1: Well, you know what uh, Ari? I know you believe that, you know, it, it's important to tell the stories uh, of women in sports and uh, where, where a, a lot of women are often overlooked. A lot of sports are often overlooked, but I think it's also important to tell the story of the storyteller and we see your details up there you're the founder of Highlighter. Uh, you, we see behind you, uh, if we get a wide shot. Let's get a shot uh, behind Ari. We ah! see 30. Uh, you see that Forbes? See, I, 30 I, I'm under 60. Enjoy so, it while you can, because let, let me tell you, they don't do 60
2: hey. under 60. You might, you might get, get another 40
1: I under 40. <laughs> 40.
2: You, you can probably get a <laughs> 40 under 40, now but, now but then they stop after that.
1: But I, I just but I think it's important uh, in all seriousness is important. It's impressive what you've done uh, in the media space. It's impressive you know, who you are as a storyteller. So uh, inspire somebody out there. Inspire a lot of folks and just uh, uh, give us a couple of nuggets of how
4: you've gotten to where you are right now. To some of the highlights on your journey. I have the privilege of being the only child, so I am used to getting my way. And I want to tell people to be relentless in their pursuit of whatever their dreams are. Don't ever wait for your yes. A lot of people say, a lot of young people I talk to say, I wanna work for this big network. And I'm like, but why? What space do you wanna occupy when you join that big network? Why? What is the actual origin of why you do what you do? And once you figure that out, you'll be able to contribute something that doesn't exist yet. And you can bring your own unique perspective because it's all about alignment. It doesn't necessarily need to be you need to, to to aim for this because of the name. Just focus on your why. Don't wait for your yes. And be relentless in your pursuit of what you want to do. And do it your way because can't nobody tell you anything. I get up there on TV with my bamboo earrings and typically I have a red lip. And I'm like, hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl Ari here. And it's it's digestible because I present it as fully So be authentic with yourself as well.
2: All right, there's more pathways in now. You know, like Michael and I came up, Boston Globe, Chicago Sun-Times, Washington Post, very traditional ways to get into this business. How have you been able to take advantage of, of the more open opportunities and non-traditional ways to make a name for yourself in the media space?
4: Yeah, so when I tell people don't wait for their yes, that's not to be taken in vain. I simply saw a white space and decided to occupy it. I was a cheerleader, I never played basketball. Um, I was always surrounded and engulfed in it, and so I studied it like hardcore but my yes came from me doing it on my own, using my cell phone, recording uh, interviews with people I knew within the league and posting them on Twitter. And Bleacher Report found me. And then the merge with Turner Sports just allowed me to take a linear path as well. So u- utilizing social and digital. And so that's, that was the path for me. And that, that's what I would say to anybody. It's like, don't, don't wait on it. Don't ever wait on what you want to do. And that's how you're going to be able to, to get there. And then, like, figure out ways to, to do it without um, needing a bigger person. Uh, just just look to your left and your right. Utilize the people next to you. Um, especially if you're in university level, you can find a film student and you can be, you know, you're on camera. Or if you like to produce, find a talent. Like, there there's so many ways to network. Like
1: Issa Ray said, just network horizontally. And so you can figure out your path. Wow, I got on my left hey, and my right. right now. I got, I got it pretty right. good. <laughs> look, <squad>. Hey, <laughs> hey I, I don't want you to give away too much. Don't give it away for free. Not too much. But what's next? What's next for you? You said you're going to do it the way you want to do it. You're not going to wait for permission. You'll be relentless. So, give us a hint of what's next for you, because I know something is. I know something
4: is next for you, and I know it's yeah. big. So, <sighs> I am very much not a Gen Z. I am a millennial, and I love uh, long-form content. I love journalism but I want to stretch myself to see things through the Gen Z lens a little bit more. So improving my social media skills. I know that sounds crazy because a lot of people know me from social media as opposed to linear, but where my heart and my path is, is linear. But I want to really, really push the boundaries, push the envelope of what I can do on social. So if that's experimenting with TikTok and figuring out how to make that work, that's my next thing. But one thing I want to keep consistent is storytelling within these athletes, the whole point the reason why I am where I am is because the growth of women's sports and that trajectory that's upward. So I am not a a name for me if if these women aren't being served in the way that they need to be served. So continued storytelling. Um, I did a series with Athletes Unlimited all on the table and really candidly, rawly told their stories. And it was just so great. It was, it was raw storytelling from their voices and i want to keep amplifying these player voices and as long as i'm doing that i'm walking my path and so that's what's next for me uh making myself a little bit more uh youthful and gen z and then um continued storytelling in a long-form way so that it's appealing to everybody
1: i love it Ari. thanks for stopping by <laughs> i love it appreciate it, Ari. what'd you say what'd you say jay keep doing
2: i was just saying this. it's just funny like She's actually trying to be Gen Z. A lot of people don't like to associate with the generation below them. Like you we tell them millennial, you're Gen Z. Like no, I'm not there. Gen Z.
4: No, I, I, I'm very much a millennial. I am. I'm in my 30s, but I want to be able to reach across generations. That's the whole point—to to, to band them together Love and it. have a mutual appreciation for the women's game.
1: All right. So you had your debut. That means next time, just stop on through don't have come to call. First. I'll pop up, and just up in your industry. Like, what's up, y'all?
2: Sister from what's another.
1: Up? What's up? Just come on. All right, Tina. Great you stuff. To me twice. <laughs> Appreciate you. Thanks for stopping by.
4: Thank you.
5: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: J.A. Dande, I got to tell you, uh, this, this, this season, whether it's the NFL and everything else, music, the Oscars... It's every time you turn around, (laughs) there's just something you're like, wait a minute. Did that just happen? I didn't see that coming. Did that really happen? Villanova head coach Jay Wright retiring. Wait a minute. Jay Wright is retiring. So my first thing, I don't know what you did when you heard the news. My first thing was like, wait a minute. Is Jay Wright older than I thought? No. Jay Wright's 60 years old. Six, six, zero. Uh, he's, he was at Villanova for 21 years, won two national championships, and a Final Four, including this year. Really, took a strong program and made it even stronger. Took a strong program and turned it into a force. He's retiring not because he wants to go to the NBA, not because he's trying to do something else and come back into college basketball in a couple of years. It's just based on uh, based on the reporting. He's at peace with it. He wants to do something else. He's a national champion two times over. See ya.
2: Just made a final four. I can't believe it. Michael, I I think he sees where this is headed, though, right? So, and he's getting ahead of it. It's headed toward chaos because of the transfer portal, right? And, And I mean, I think the only thing probably less palatable, less appealing to him than the prospect of chasing after 17 year olds as he gets deeper into his 60s, is the prospect of chasing after 17- and 18-year-olds in his 60s and then having to do everything to keep them around and to keep them from hitting a transport portal once he's actually got them on campus. And... I- I I think this is going to be the trend. I I think you'll see people bail in sooner rather than later. And now it's almost funny because we went from being like, who's going to take over for Krzyzewski, right? And Jay Wright was certainly one of the nominees for like somebody who could be the face of college basketball coaches in the post Krzyzewski era. And I think now it's going to be who's going to be the next Jay Wright and decide, you know what, I've had a good run. Let me bounce because I really don't want to be doing this. I don't see myself doing this for another 10 or 15 years.
1: But 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 Jay, you actually think it's it's chaos? Uh, wh- what would make it more chaotic than it is right now? I mean, you have a you have a transfer portal in football, college football. You have a transfer portal in college basketball. And one thing it is creating, it's creating. I guess before I'd use the word chaos, I'd use um, I, I, I'd use a little more. Um, Equality is not the word I'm looking for. Competitiveness. Well, well that, that's
2: Competitiveness. what we get. Right, that That's that's the outcome. That's the result, Michael. But you're not the one having to manage it. <laughs> if you had to manage right. it, if you didn't know what your roster hey, was going to look like from one hey, semester man. to the next, then you, yeah, you might think it's a little
1: more chaotic. That's why. And, and, and he, that's did, why, he didn't cite this. That's why. He didn't they cite paid it. this. And hey, look, if it were easy, if it were easy, they wouldn't pay you uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars. At the university level, they pay you that. uh, And this is part of the, this is part of the burden for head coaches at programs like Villanova and North Carolina and Duke and Kentucky. You got to figure this thing out. And some of the coaches, some of the coaches have, they figured out, okay, I got these guys for a season. I don't have them for two years. I certainly don't have them for four years. Right. Him and for we season. saw
2: certainly, and certainly Mike Krzyzewski adapted to that right to the to the one and done era, and we saw him yep. you know pivot and then prosper. Obviously, John Calipari has been someone who's been very comfortable in that for a long time, and, and it's funny. All of a sudden, we're going to look up and like John Calipari is going to be like the the dean, right? The long tenured guy. I mean, he's been a, he's been in Kentucky for a while, right. and when guys like Jay Wright leave, um, you know, and everyone else moves up the rankings. I mean, I guess is what, like Tom Izzo and, and um, I mean, Calipari's got to be up there now. He's been in Kentucky for a minute now.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, let me, uh, I'm going to make uh, Gary Carter, uh, one of our producers, I'm going to make him mad. Uh, he's a Syracuse guy. He's a Newhouse guy, the Newhouse <laughs> Mafia. I know uh, there's probably a little rivalry between Newhouse and Medill. Really? Or, oh, yeah. or maybe y'all look at them and be like, oh, okay. They're nice in the Syracuse. They're not on our level. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But when's Beheim gonna leave? Like, everything, every trend that happens to college basketball doesn't seem to affect Jim Bayheim. Here's a stat that will blow your mind. Jim Bayheim was in his 25th season when Jay Wright took the Villanova job 21 years ago. Wow.
2: Come on, I mean bro. It, it it was wild. Please I mean, I was leave. thinking about this a lot.
1: Leave!
2: With the, no, he doesn't have to leave. Like, I, I don't want him to leave anytime soon because when he leaves, that means another part of my youth is gone. Like, it was amazing to me. Bethlehem okay. and Shashevsky had been at Syracuse and Duke since I'd been watching college basketball, right, in the early 80s. I like certain things to stay the same way, and one of them is looking at the sidelines when you see these these schools and seeing the same familiar faces. So I'm in no rush. Take all the time you want, Jim Beheim. Don't rush out the door. We already lost Shashevsky Like, no, I don't want to see another part of my youth leave and depart. No, stay, Jim Beheim. Stay as long as you want.
1: See, Jay Adana, you're the problem. You're the problem. See, that, that's it. What you just said there, that's the problem. You're saying and I'm inhibiting growth? It, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. I'd say you, you call it Chaos what's coming in college basketball, I'd say what's coming is a little creative tension. It's creative tension where it was easy. It was easy 10 years ago compared to now. Okay, you had the, 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 the head, the, 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 the Godhead, uh, so to speak, with those guys, with Jim Boeheim and Tom Izzo and Coach K and Calipari and Rick Pitino before you know he ran into his, his troubles. But all these guys, they just... They, ran, they were czars of the campus. And that dynamic still exists in college football. Even though it was a transfer portal, it still exists there. But in college basketball, I think they're feeling, they're, they're standing, standing on wobbly legs right now. They don't have the power that they used to have. It's harder to get these kids and to get them to stay than it was a decade ago. And I think that's a good thing. It's good. I will
2: say this. I mean, I think there's some exciting fresh blood. Um, we saw what Shaheen Holloway did this year. And, yeah. you know, now that he's going to, back to his alma mater, going to Seton Hall, I mean, he was a, that was a really well-coached team. And it's funny. You would watch even what? pro personnel, pro executives watch and just comment on what they were doing that was, that was so outstanding, the sets they were running and the defensive mentality they had. Uh, so what can he do? You know, um, but no matter what he does – He ain't going to be there as long as Bayheim. You know, will he even stick around as long as Jay Wright did at Villanova? So that's the thing. We're we're getting things that can't be replaced. Shaheen Holloway might turn out to have a great run at Seton Hall. He's not going to replicate what we saw at Coach K at Duke. It's just not going to happen. We're not going to see that again. All right. I lament that. Jay Wright, though. I'm lamenting.
1: Jay Wright. I do. I do lament the loss of Jay Wright, though. Uh, you know, great and those suits,
2: you know, maybe he got out because he couldn't oh. wear his clean suits anymore. Oh, like Jay right in the zip. When, when you're asking him to wear the quarter zip sweatshirt, it might be time for him to bounce, man, because his suit game Bruh. is strong.
1: Best dress by far. Hey, hey Jay, before you exit stage left, I hook a brother up with your tailor. Let me know who your tailor is. Ooh, always exquisite. Congratulations, Jay. Alright, Jay. Uh, hey, what happens when you hit a home run off somebody?
2: They get mad. What happens?
1: Oh come they on, mad. man.
2: <laughs> Execute. Come hey, on. This is better than than having a fastball throwing at you the truth next time, right? Like I feel like, I mean, th- they're both like, you know, unacceptable, but I feel like we should normalize this tackling. This should be this should be a more of a normal response than throwing a baseball at somebody at 90 miles an hour. What is normal? What's acceptable about that? Okay. I think you can recover this from this a lot easier than you can recover from okay. a baseball to the dome.
1: How good is that pitcher? I don't know how good he is. First of all, I gave up a home run. So I don't know. Pitchers give up home runs. But I've never seen a pitcher tackle like that. Boom. So he may be a he may be a better <laughs> tackler than he is a pitcher. I, okay, he clearly okay. is a multi
2: sport athlete.
1: I didn't see any uh, I didn't see any obnoxious. He's, home a, he's run a big guy trot. too.
2: Like he could look like he could be in the front court on, on a basketball team too. triple threat. So <laughs>
1: so as, as a uh, I assume that you are grew up as a Dodgers fan Dodgers fan growing up.
2: Yes. That's my so team. You mean
1: to tell me you mean to tell me uh, would you like to have a, a debate with Vin Scully when he t- when he gets all excited about Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale and all those great Dodgers pitchers who, hey, listen, if you act in a certain way, especially Drysdale, you act a certain Drysdale, way, definitely. you get a little too comfortable, in, you get a little too comfortable in the box. boom. they go throw at you. You think that was wrong? Or we've evolved? We've I evolved. Think we sh- we should design. evolve,
2: right? Like to to me, the answer yeah. to to somebody, you know, showing you, like, also, don't give up the home run, you know, like. I, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if he celebrated or, you know, bat flipped or whatever. Like, I don't know what he did to upset the pitcher so much besides hit the home run. Uh, but still, in all those instances, the proper response is not a 95-mile-an-hour projectile hurled at somebody's head.
1: Tackle it, him. That, that's not Trip it. Him. Do Especially something. not at the head. Especially right. not at the head. It's funny how baseball people get a little sanctimonious about that. Hey, listen, you're going to hit a guy – Hit a guy in the leg.
2: Right.
1: Hit him in his <laughs> lower back. <laughs> okay. How about we not throw an object go, hey. at them at all, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: right. <laughs> How about we not do that?
1: Hey, throwing at the head, that is just wrong. We got yeah, to empty the bases. We got to empty the benches now and empty the bullpens. Uh, you gotta, what's up what's with your Mike Tyson? I see you, I'm looking at your feed. What's your Mike Tyson story?
2: <laughs> First of all, I got I to shout out. that knocks me off my feet. Might have been the best uh, headline I had there. That, shout out to Stevie Wonder. But the Tyson went traveling, man. So this dude was traveling and he saw Mike Tyson sitting in front of him. He thought it'd be a good idea to pose and make, you know, stories for the gram or whatever and keep annoying Mike Tyson. When if you annoy Mike Tyson enough, this is what happens to you. And he deserved each and every one of those. And I think, you know what? If if we're not going to have the government able to enforce mask mandates anymore, I think we should have Mike Tyson fly around and enforce mask mask mandates. You know, so guess what? If you don't wear your mask, that's fine. The government says you don't have to, but you also might be subjected to a beatdown from Mike Tyson. If you act up on a plane... This is what might happen to you, courtesy of Mike Tyson. We need more Come Mike on. Tysons in the air to keep people from acting Come up. On. We see people doing, acting all kinds of nonsense on the planes. They wouldn't be doing that if they knew this was on the other side awaiting them.
1: What was he thinking? What was he thinking?
2: You <laughs> he, know, was he was trying, trying to get like, cloud. He thought this one might, might, just, might get him some likes on Instagram. Sorry, this is okay, Mike Tyson yes, we're but, talking about. Well... Well, How I else, else was his story going to end other than a beatdown? Leave Mike Tyson how, alone. How, He's just trying to sit there and you, mind his own business. Leave Mike Tyson alone. Did you
1: do that? Did you do that intentionally? How else was his story going to end? How else was his IG story? This is how his IG story is? <laughs> so, look, he got, he got exactly what he was looking for. He did get a lot of attention, and he got a beatdown. He got a beatdown for Mike Tyson. Like, he got he what he was looking Tyson?
2: for, and he got what was coming to him. He got both right. of those. He got what he was looking for and he have got you, what was coming to him.
1: Have you ever interviewed Mike?
2: I have at a press conference, not like one-on-one. I,
1: I, okay, right. How did, it, how did it go? It was like, okay, you just... like with well, Mike Tyson, even in, in those situations, because I've been there too, in those situations, as a matter of fact, I covered the hearing in Vegas after oh. he bit Evander's ear. Uh, so I covered that hearing and it was a press conference after that. Even when other people are around, I'm just always on edge with right. Mike Tyson, and, and I've been in,
2: in social settings with right. them. And you know what? I didn't antagonize them. I kept my know, distance.
1: Right, exactly. You don't antagonize them. You don't assume anything. If you assume anything, it's that hey, this may not go down the way I want it to. So just <laughs> right. be ready for anything. <laughs> you just. I'm just gonna you know be how ready. No, story's gonna if end, I,
2: and you might get. If what's I need to make it.
1: If I made, If I need to make that quick exit. I can make that quick exit, but you can't do that on a plane. Jay Donde, man, <laughs> great job, man. Good great out job with
2: you, man. Great job on short
1: notice. The other
2: brother Appreciate from you, another.
1: Appreciate
2: you, brother. The other brother from another.
1: Where you at, Jaden?